Welcome to the YA Cafe, where we share conversations about books for teachers, readers, and caffeine addicts everywhere. On today's episode, we'll be talking about The Downstairs Girl by Stacey Lee. Grab a mug of your favorite beverage, friends, and let's talk books. Welcome, y'all. As always, our first segment will be spoiler-free, and so you can stick around even if you haven't checked out the new novel yet. I'm Amanda Thrasher. And I'm Danielle Hall, an 8th and ninth grade English teacher, and I blog at teachnouvelle.com. And this is episode number 60. What? Most people celebrate 50, but I forgot. <laughs> so here we are at our, what's like a little bit more than a super gold. Semi-centennial. It's our five dozenth episode. Oh, being a chinese american teenager in late 19th century atlanta isn't easy but joe kwan has made a life with some stability she and her caretaker old jin live in secret in a hidden room below a house eavesdropping on the family living above them when joe's fired without cause from her job as a hat maker she has no choice but to return to work as a lady's maid for a girl she despises luckily joe has a secret She's taken to writing an advice column as Miss Sweetie, a saucebox of a writer who takes a stand against some of the injustices taking root in her town. As Joe hunts down the truth about her family, past, and what it means to be Miss Sweetie, it's clear that her life and her city are going to change. I love the word saucebox. I liked its presence in the book also. I, yeah. like, I don't know what this is, but I know exactly what this is based on context. Yeah. <laughs> I was really excited for this book because I really enjoyed one of Stacey Lee's other novels, um, Under a Painted Sky, which has like a Western setting and is about a Chinese-American girl who goes West to San Francisco for reasons I've forgotten. I forget plot details, but not how a book makes me feel. <laughs> and I still remember loving how that book made me feel. And Downstairs Girl, in a lot of ways, made me feel like engaged by this witty protagonist who was very, very specific and, you know, was smarter than most of the people around her. I just, I really liked this book. How about you, Amanda? What did you think? So I read this book after you did and you loved it so much and you were like, I'm so excited for you to read this book. And I was like, cool. And I started reading it and I was like, you know, not all books are for all people, <laughs> but I really enjoyed it. After the first like 70 pages or so, I was super engaged. I got all the things that you mentioned about like this really witty protagonist and like interesting cast of characters and all these things. I did not see a lot of that in the first 70 pages, I think, because I did not have all the warm feelings from Stacey Lee, but I wound up really loving the book. Okay, so we that. should tell our listeners that you didn't read Under a Painted Sky. I did not. So it's not like you read it and hated it. Yeah. You just didn't read it. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so it's true, like, we had different opinions on the first part, and it's hard to say how I would have felt about the first part had I not read the other book, because I did read the other book. But I think that one of the things that I struggled with with the first part, and, like, this isn't a spoiler, it happens within, like, the first 10 pages, and you said it in the summary, she gets fired from the hat shop because reasons... No, because no reasons. That's the whole thing. Yeah, no reasons. Like, that's important. It was just racism. And I really thought the hat thing would come back around, and it didn't. So, like, I say that in the spoiler-free section because I want readers to go into this just knowing that the hat thing is not going to come back around. Yeah, I thought it was weird to, like, spend a lot of time setting us in the hat shop and with the characters of the hat maker and the assistant. And they both come back. I so mean, they kind of do, but I mean, like... 
when you're dealing with like the essential like first setting of a story and then like immediately ripping us away from that it felt like, oh, okay, well, now I don't have anything to grab onto. I don't know anything about anyone. But neither did Joe. Maybe it's a form-following content thing. Mm. One thing I loved about the hat shop, and I had to like take a break from reading and do some Googling, was that Joe does Chinese knot tying. And I was not familiar with this. I did not know how it was done. And so I watched like 100 YouTube videos about it because I was so fascinated. And that's one of the things I really like about Stacey Lee's books is that she gives her characters, like, interesting interests. Yeah, I thought that was cool. Like, I liked that presence. I think I just felt like like we talked about a little bit before about how we thought that a lot of this book was going to be her, like, making her way back to being a hat maker because that seemed to be what her passion was. But then it turned out that it wasn't. But, like, I think that the characters are fantastic. I think this was a really great book. I thought the beginning was weak. Fair. Okay, so a couple more things to talk about in the spoiler-free section. She goes from the hat world to this house, which becomes the dominant setting of the book. And it is the pain family. And there are pain in her butt. So she goes to be a lady's maid to Caroline. And I thought this was so interesting because... She has a past with this family. This is not a random choice. Like, she essentially grew up in this house with the pains, and then something happened, and she got cast out. And, like, she doesn't really understand it, but Caroline doesn't like her, and there's all this tension, and Mrs. Payne doesn't like her. And I just thought all of that was so interesting. And for me, definitely where, like, the primary mystery lies was, like... Why don't they like her? I don't get it. What's going to happen? And another thing about this family, I think that this family would have said that they were pretty progressive people. Maybe, but they were not down with all the suffragist stuff happening either. And I don't know. I mean, did they think that they mistreated our noble hero? No. Did they? Yes. Uh, So one thing that's important to the book, as evidenced by the title of The Downstairs Girl, is that they are living below a different house in a secret, like, underground railroad compartment that is owned by one of the local newspaper publishers. And so Jo feels very attached to this family because she's grown up listening to them through her secret spy tube that (laughs) runs up through the vents. Yeah, it was really sweet. And, you know, that's her way into this whole agony aunt persona is this family above her. And that really is what gives her like the mobility through the rest of the plot is this connection to this family. And they don't know that she's there. Also, like, I haven't done all the historical research that Stacey Lee has, so I'm probably misrepresenting this. But this whole concept stems from the fact that it's like illegal at this point in time to rent to Chinese Americans. Yeah, I think it said that in there. Either illegal or very difficult. Because she did ask that one place, like, hey, can we stay here? And they're like, not enough money in the world for you. So it's either illegal or people aren't going to do it because people are terrible. And I want to talk more about that in the spoiler section. But before we leave, I wanted to read one of the examples of the Agony Ant letters, which function as epigraphs in this book as an introduction to some of the chapters. So here we go. Dear Miss Sweetie, my sisters and I wonder, why must a woman suffer a few days each month? Sincerely, bloated, crampy, and spotty. Dear bloated, crampy, and spotty, 
because the alternative is worse, although they do get to vote. Sincerely, Miss Sweetie. And with that, friends, we'll take our first break. When we come back, we'll share about things we like a latte. Then we'll return to our discussion of The Downstairs Girl and dig a little deeper. Hey, friends. We need your support to keep making this podcast happen. One easy way to show your love is to order our book choices through our affiliate links. Up next, we'll be discussing The Revolution of Bertie Randolph by Brandy Colbert. Order this book through the link in our show notes and help us keep bringing you great content. Happy reading! Welcome back, y'all. It's time for Things We Like a Latte. Danielle, what's your brew of choice this week? Well, Amanda. Well, Danielle. So I finally got around to reading Lies My Teacher Told Me by James Lowen. And it's great. Like, it came out a long time ago, like almost 30 years ago. And I wish I had read it a lot earlier, but I am really enjoying it. Basically, he talks about how American history textbooks in the United States have been written to perpetuate white supremacy and to share this cultural mythology that erases the contributions of people of color and indigenous people. These textbooks do this in such a way that generates these quote-unquote patriotic undertones and sustains white supremacy in a very insidious way. And Lowen really picks apart how that mythology was established, where it is erroneous, and how we could better serve students by teaching a truthful history. So, strongly recommend Lies My Teacher Told Me. Also, there is a Young Readers version, which I have but haven't read yet. So I will be sharing that on Instagram when I am done with it. So as a teacher, do you feel lied to and or that you are a liar? Yes, both of those things. Absolutely. Um, You know, like, I don't want to go into a lot of specific examples because then it won't be things I like a latte. It'll be like things I hate a latte. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, I mean, it's very clear that these lies were in the textbooks. And as long as your teachers had to teach the textbooks or like were so overwhelmed that they couldn't question them or there are just so many aspects to it. It's very, very complex. It's not just like, you know, the earth is flat sort of thing. It's it's like very insidious and complicated. And it is very interesting to unravel this. And I think it will make me a better teacher. How about you, Amanda? What do you like a latte? Well, for me this week, I just devoured the book Fly Girls by Keith O'Brien. It is the story of five of the early uh, female aviators in the United States. You're a female aviator. I am, but I am not that kind of female aviator because <laughs> they die a lot more <laughs> than I don't like those odds. But uh, this book is really fantastic. It talks a lot about early aviation and the concerted efforts of male aviation groups and the races to keep those girls out because they just don't have the constitution for it. You see? And I really just liked how this book not only told the story of the female aviators, but like provided enough background of like all the male aviators crashing and dying too. Like it's clear that when a female dies, it's not because she's a girl. It's because early aviation is a nightmare in a graveyard. Um, and so I just love this book. I thought that it was so well done. It's Fly Girls by Keith O'Brien. Excellent. And while we're here, do you want to share a funny headline you dug out of the Coast Guard archives this week? <laughs> 
Yeah, so I found this newspaper article from 1974 when the first female uh, was stationed at, I believe it was Westport, but it doesn't matter. What's important is that this headline from 1974 says, Pert last, a CG first. (laughs) And I'm just like, oh, newspapers. Um, And it also says she emphatically declares that she's not a women's liber. And then a year later, there's an article saying CG experience radicalizes woman. And in the first paragraph, it says serving in the Coast Guard has done more to turn me into a radical women's liber than anything that ever happened to me. (laughs) And I love it. Love that. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll return to our discussion on The Downstairs Girl. The rest of the show will contain spoilers, so if you're leaving us here, keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter at YA Cafe Podcast. We'll be back. Welcome back, y'all, to the YA Cafe. We're continuing our discussion on The Downstairs Girl by Stacey Lee. If you haven't read this yet, we want to warn you again that this segment will contain spoilers. Spoilers! And horse racing. Boom. Before we jump into the horse racing, let's talk about she goes and works for the pains and Caroline is terrible, but Caroline has a secret. She's seeing a man and then the man dumps her and it's all just very scandalous. (laughs) They meet to make out in the graveyard. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, what do you want to say about Caroline? I mean, I just think that it's important to know that, like, Caroline is the worst from beginning to end. I mean, she's not the worst, actually. It turns out Mrs. Payne is the worst. Mrs. Payne is the worst. So, Mrs. Payne seems like she's nice. Like, she's friendly to Joe. And, like, she rehires her. And, like, she seems to keep her daughter, Caroline, in line. But then we discover that Mrs. Payne was Joe's biological mother who dumped her. Like, she knew all along. Like, it's not a random sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Like, they lived in the same town the whole time. And that's why Joe grew up in the house as a servant, y'all. Yeah. Oh, this makes me ragey. I mean, like, by the end of it, Joe is like, you know, I think about what else could she have done with, like, this half Chinese baby and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, she chose wrong. She did choose wrong. I don't know what choosing right would be, but it wasn't that. So one of the things that we talk about a lot on this podcast is like how there's kind of like the closure ending that you want. Like you want the Mrs. Paynes of the world to get chewed out and like the Joes to get closure. But then there's like these realistic sort of endings where things just sort of whimper out because people don't want to address their past pain and like this is one of those things where it's like oh yeah this is realistic joe just has to get over it because mrs Payne is not going to acknowledge her yeah it's terrible i mean after caroline discovers this fact she takes the opportunity to be like one iota less horrible to joe so like props to caroline i was super riveted by all of this I really liked when Joe stood up to her and Joe was like, nope, I don't have any patience for you. You're not at all what I imagined a mother would be and all of these kinds of things. And I'm going to enter this horse in the race. I think you'll find it's a great idea. Like, (laughs) yeah, I really liked how Joe quickly leveraged this against her. Be like, oh, oh, I see. Okay, things are going to go my way now. Yeah. Like, you're never going to acknowledge me or, like, give me any sort of help in the world, but you will give me this one thing. Like, I have it over you. Yeah. 
I liked that too. And you know what it came down to talking about like the racism that not only exists in this historic perspective, but like still our society, like Caroline and Mrs. Payne were not willing to give up any part of their privilege and reputation to do the correct thing by Joe. Yeah. But what I want to talk about is suffragettes, because I also feel like that's a great modern day parallel, because by and large, the white female suffragettes were very into excluding people of color. They had the attitude and expressed this attitude verbatim in the book, like, wait your turn. Your men got the right to vote and they messed it up. Like, they're not going to vote. I mean, never mind all of the systemic institutionalized blacks against them going to vote. These white women were just like, no, like, they had their chance and they blew it. So now it's our turn. Like, I can't believe that black men were able to vote before we were us decent white women. Like, oh, that was so good. And I just, I really loved that scene at the suffragette meeting. So Joe comes into this with Noemi, who works in the Payne household. And they were just so good together. And Noemi has like so much energy. And like you said, the white suffragettes are just like, "Mm, no, wait your turn. Yeah. And that's still a huge problem. Like anytime people ignore intersectionality and ignore like all of the areas that need addressing. Right. We want gay marriage before trans. Exactly. All I could think about with reading this was the human rights campaign with their, you know, neoliberal like trans people just wait your turn we're gonna get gay marriage going that's gonna help like rich gays and then we're gonna help you out so i definitely felt like the parallels were very present and like important to keep in mind for all activist groups to not leave people out because obviously somebody like noemi would be hugely powerful and incredibly influential in like her sphere if you give her a microphone like yes i agree And one of the things I love about Stacey Lee is how strategically she creates these parallels between her historical novels and, like, our modern world. Like, these are not foreign struggles to us. We still have them. And it's so intentional and so well done. I truly find her work so riveting. Like, I am definitely one of her true fans who will, like, buy everything she writes from now on. I loved this book being a historical book because I think that it's really important to remember that we have always been a nation of immigrants and that includes a lot of people who don't fit into like black or white and like their stories in historical fiction often are completely erased. Like, have you ever read a book about a Chinese person in the 1900s in the South? By Stacey Lee. By Stacey Lee. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure that I have. And it's hugely important to just, like, fill in these gaps of our cultural consciousness and our, like, idea of who we are and who has built this country. So, like, the presence of Joe as a Chinese protagonist, hugely important. Great that she had to grapple with it all the time. Like, old Jin at one point during the streetcar segregation was like, where are we supposed to go? We're not black. We're not white. Do you want us to go, like on the hood like what's up and i really thought that she did so good with painting this world where joe doesn't quite know exactly where she fits but she knows where she doesn't fit yeah absolutely and we haven't talked much about the family of printers and the printing press and all of that but i did want to shout out that at the end there is sort of like a a found family scene i enjoyed that I always like like a shout out to found families. Like a good found family, definitely. 
Hey. Hey. Let's talk about horse racing. So there's a horse race in this book. The race is a metaphor. (laughs) I wonder if Erin still listens to our podcast. I hope she does. Erin, if you're listening, we love you. (laughs) So the most interesting part of this horse race for me, like, okay, everybody, she's the protagonist. We all saw it coming. She wins the horse race. Except that they call it a tie because, of course, they have to because racism yeah, racism and sexism here because intersectionality. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. So I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. It's like no matter how hard she works in her life, the quote unquote best she can hope for is to tie the white guy. Yeah. So I, as I was reading, once old Jin got hurt and could no longer race, I was reading. I was like, oh, is this going to happen? Is this going to? Oh, it's happening. And then I felt just like resignation. And then I was like, okay, let's go with it. And then it worked out great. So. <laughs> Did you not feel that? Were you like, oh, she's going to race. She's going to. Oh, man. Like, I was racing. along for the ride. <laughs> it was great. Keep doing you, Stacey Lee. <laughs> Don't listen to these haters. <laughs> these haters being your one true love. <laughs> well, not right now. You're not. Just kidding. You are. You are always and forever. I love you. However, you're wrong. This was great. That's fair. You're usually wrong. So <laughs> I'll right. accept the mantle just this once. Overall. We enjoyed this book. We want more books like this. You need this book for your classroom library. You should also procure Under a Painted Sky by Stacey Lee and Outrun the Moon by Stacey Lee. Just get them all. They're like Pokemon. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta catch them all. That's our show for today. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at YA Cafe Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Don't forget to grab your copy of next episode's book, The Revolution of Bertie Randolph by Brandy Colbert via the link in our show notes. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes or whatever various podcasting platforms there are in this wild world of ours. Happy reading.